Hello, everyone, and a very warm welcome to the Trademark Now podcast, Talking Marks, where we discuss the wonderful and sometimes weird world of trademarks. Allow me to introduce myself. I'm Zach Stevens, a trademark executive with Trademark Now. I co-present Talking Marks with my colleague, Gochen Uzer Chingalja. Hi, I'm Gokcha, Trademark Counsel at Trademark Now. You're very welcome to Talking Marks. Just to introduce myself now to you all, um, I've worked as a trademark attorney for a little over 12 years and I have experience in trademark prosecution and portfolio strategies. I provide trademark law expertise for AI model development at Trademark Now. I'd just like to say that no opinions that are expressed in this podcast are to be considered legal opinions, nor do they directly reflect the opinions of Trademark Now. What we hope to achieve from this podcast is a casual but informative discussion on trademarks to discuss a variety of subjects in the trademark world, covering currently trending trademark cases, historically famous cases, funny and unusual cases, and general trademark and trademark law related topics. Gochen and I are huge trademark aficionados, and we hope that you enjoy listening to our conversations. Mindful of the fact that many of us are now working remotely due to the current crisis, we hope that our podcast can also help you stay in touch with the trademark community. We are always looking for guests to come on the show, so if you have something to say, please do get in touch. We share our contact details at the end of each episode. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us here on Talkin' Marks. I'm Zach S. Stevens, and as always with me is Gochen. Say hi, Gochen. Hello, everybody. Today's topic is going to be based on distinctiveness and descriptiveness, uh, and we're going to look at a few EU IPO recent decisions. Um, before we get started, just uh, I, I wanted to talk about something that we actually spoke about in our third podcast uh, about the Booking.com, about the USPTO versus Booking.com Supreme Court case. And uh, if you haven't heard that third podcast, I would uh, stress to go back and listen to it. It's a great review. Um, some very interesting stuff. A really interesting case uh, to to start off with the fact that it's one of the first uh, teleconferenced um, Supreme Court cases, um, which was uh, super interesting. Uh, the at the at the end of the day, they did side with uh, Booking.com and said that Booking.com was distinctive, and they based that all around uh, consumer perception. Um, and we're going to look at a few other cases. Um, that that are very similar uh, in the EU IPO today, um, and it, it is it's a very very interesting case, the Booking.com case, because it's going to have significant consequence on you know in trademark law in regards to to domain names. Um, do you want to do you want to go on a little bit about that, Gochen? Yeah. Uh, so thank you, Zach. Uh, today I came with lots of uh, interesting decisions from EU IPO. And uh, we will explore more on absolute grounds of refusal decisions uh, rendered by examiners on the grounds of descriptiveness and distinctiveness, as you said. But before we start, as you said, the Supreme Court's decision held that uh, adding .com to a generic word can make the entire combination actually eligible for trademark protection. So it's it's a a really huge uh, decision, I feel. Um, basically, as you mentioned, the court said uh, Booking.com is not generic in the eye of consumers, so it is not considered as generic. Uh, so the court decided that generic.com term can cannot be considered as generic 
it all depends on the consumer's perception. And uh, the do you remember this highly disputed Goodyear case that we have discussed in our previous uh, podcast? Yeah, yeah, they kept referencing a case. I, I thought it was very strange that they were referencing a case that was from the 1800s to talk about uh, URLs. But yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, uh, according to PTO, like adding .com is uh, to a generic term, like adding a company. Uh, and then cannot have any source identifying power. And then uh, we have discussed this amicus briefs in in our uh, previous podcast. Uh, I I think it was Inta, as far as I remember, that uh, they say that it it cannot be considered as same because like this dot uh, coms have a, a particular internet domain name uh, that refers to the company. And then also uh, that claim is not considered as well grounded by the Supreme Court. Due to, due to the same fact that only one entity can occupy that particular internet domain. Uh, so yes, a new victory for Booking.com, I feel. Congrats. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And it, it, it is interesting. The consumer perception uh, side of that is what's kind of intriguing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And before we just start going off on these uh, distinctiveness, descriptiveness cases, uh, or generic, genericness cases, um, and before we start going one by one, do you have, um, say, a similar case to Booking.com? Yeah, uh, like before uh, saying um, similar cases, uh, first, in order to warm up for today's topic, I would like to just briefly cover the regulation in EU IPO. Uh, so in EU IPO, the absolute grounds of refusals are regulated under the Article 7 uh, and our chat will cover the decisions rendered in the scope of this article, namely 7.1 A, B and C. Uh, so basically, Article A is covering that the signs need to have a distinguishing character. So if it's generic or some kind of a non-traditional trademark that is that cannot uh, have any kind of distinguished character, then this is not registrable and, and will be rejected based on this ground. And this ground, this clause, is close to acquired distinctiveness claim. Uh, and then Article B covers non-distinctive ones and C covers uh, descriptive signs. Uh, so uh, this distinctiveness evaluated by the reference to the covered goods and services, as well as the relevant public's perception of sign. And also, like, according to descriptiveness, uh, it's the article says that a sign must be refused as uh, descriptive. It has a meaning that immediately perceived by the relevant public as providing information about goods and services applied for, like information about, for example, the characteristics, purpose, kind, size, size of the goods and services, like this. So, like, technically, if a mark is descriptive, it is also mostly non-distinctive. And um, like similar cases with booking.com. So like, of course, all cases are related on their own merits. And uh, in the booking.com case, we have this acquired dis distinctiveness and even reputation is issue issues. But uh in that sense it's not totally similar but we 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 do have some other dot com trademarks which are rejected on the basis of absolute grounds of refusals but in general uh eu ipo says actually it said uh one of the court decision it was a biomild decision uh 
the, the mere combination of descriptive terms remains descriptive unless because of the unusual nature of the combination, uh, the word creates an overall impression which is distinguished enough and, and as a result that the complete word is more than some of its parts. And, and for top-level domain endings such as .com, it is considered in general as it only indicates the place where information can be found on the internet and thus cannot render a descriptor of descriptive or otherwise objectionable for mark registrable. Um, when it comes to examples, uh, for example, I found that media.com has been partially rejected in uh, media-related classes uh, due to the direct relation of the wording and the related goods and services. Uh, it, was, it was covering like all kinds of marketing services, by the way. And then similar assessment made in, uh, for example, salary.com, which covers, again, like uh, services related with wording salary, for example, online journals like employee compensation or like uh, matching career opportunities on, with online services like or benefit calculator services, those kind of services it covers. Or there was freetour.com. It was also rejected for reservation services for tours, booking and reservation services for tours, arranging tours, organizing tours, conducting seasiding tours. Uh, again, uh, similarly, same goes with like yoga.com. Uh, it, it covers education and providing uh, of training and support and entertainment services. Or bedandbreakfast.com. Uh, for the services 41, 42, and 43, like uh, related services. But I can I can still say that based on those grounds, uh, EIPO do not close the door for acquired distinctiveness claim. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and actually, funny enough, while you were kind of going through some of those examples, I was using um, uh, one of Trademark Now's tools, Eximatch, to look up uh, uh, anything with a .com in the EU IPO. And by the way, I should say to those listening, um, I'm going to be doing a little demonstration of exactly what I'm doing right now on that product. You can just go to YouTube and look up Trademark Now, go to the Trademark Now channel, and then we'll have a little video there uploaded uh, referencing this exact search and how I'm doing it, how I'm using the different filters in Eximatch to, to bring these up. Um, but I just looked up uh, all the all the different .com mm -hmm. uh, applications that are in the EU IPO, and roughly there's about 7,500 of those. Um, and mm -hmm. then I can even I can actually narrow that down as well and just look for anything with the status of the, anything with a valid status. And that brings me down to 3,800 uh, trademarks in the EU IPO. Okay. Uh, and then we can even, if I narrow that down then, um, so it has a feature here to where I can look at just to where the mark text ends with uh, .com. And if I narrow that down, it's roughly 6,100 trademarks. And then if I say only valid applications, we're looking at half that. So we're looking at about uh, about 2,900. Okay. Um, trademarks. And I can actually see see one of the examples here. Um, one of the first ones that comes up, the printing.com was registered for printing material. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, and then I, it, we also have a, a an analysis feature. And again, um, 
a small demonstration will, will be on YouTube. So please go to the trademarknow.com or excuse me, the trademark now channel on YouTube. Um, but we have an analysis feature too. So if I click analysis, what's really interesting uh, is that the largest portion is in class 35, mm -hmm. which, you know, if you think, if you're thinking of domain names, it's probably going to, uh, what, what would that be in 45 typically? Wouldn't mm, yeah. Like if, if it's related to retail services and the domain names usually mostly uh, used for uh, retail services. Yeah, it most probably yeah, covers yeah. 35. So are there any decisions only based on genericness or do the grounds usually just cover the genericness, descriptiveness, non-distinctiveness all together? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, there is the Article 7a where it regulates that if the sign has no capability to indicate the origin, then it cannot be considered as a trademark. So that is like purely genericness uh, ground. And then uh, th in this article, uh, the applicant have no right to claim a card distinctiveness through use, as we said. And uh like uh, listeners are very welcome to have com comments uh, on that. But as I see uh, from EU IPO, uh, that this article stand alone mostly for uh, non-traditional trademark applications, uh, usually for EU IPO. But for word trademarks, usually the rejection decisions are based on the grounds uh, BC together or ABC or all together. Like, uh, but this is my my uh, command and and uh mm. i also found a recent decision for for a word word mark which i found interesting that was uh, uh aluminium covering aluminium packaging containers in class five uh, it has been uh, rejected on the uh, only on the grounds of 7a so there did you say which sorry gochim which class did you uh, say it 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 covers class six uh well, class six. yeah and it covers this uh, aluminium packaging containers uh and the word is aluminium so there is this misspelling actually but still it's not considered as sufficient enough to achieve the registration uh considering the covered goods okay so yeah those bnc examples are good um I also found one as well, um, the United States Seafood, mm -hmm. uh, which is a U.S. company filed, uh, excuse me, a U.S. company filed the United States Seafood trademark, and it's been rejected based on similar grounds. However, in the U.S., it is a valid trademark covering Class 29. Yeah, that, that's actually a court case, like, uh, so a bit more popular than the sole examiner decisions. Uh, and then this dispute is related to an up application which covers, uh, as far as I remember, fish and fish fillets uh, in, in Class 29. And the application was refused by uh, EIPO on absolute grounds based on uh, descriptiveness. Uh, and like the application was covering a U.S. map image, uh, I think it's uh, Alaska or something like that. I'm not sure, but mm -hmm. some kind of a U.S. map image. And the uh, applicant claimed that it's enough to create the basic distinctiveness with the, with that map. But according to EU IPO, those kind of maps or flags are not uh, able to create distinctiveness as such. And then uh, you, when you consider the wording also is not that much distinctiveness, uh, distinctive, uh, they, um, they reject that trademark. And also they say that even this maps or flags kind of uh, 
maps or flags kind of additional elements would uh, per stress the uh, origin of the goods in the sense that relevant public may uh, may perceive it is referring the food obtained from uh, that particular country. Uh, and then the, then the general court upheld this decision. Uh, basically, general court confirmed that uh, holding that sh the shape of the mat would be perceived as mere decoration, uh, which would not change the meaning of the descriptive message of the sign. So they found uh, that trademark mm -hmm. is descriptive, yeah. Yeah, and just to quote uh, Peter Gustav Olson from Lexology, he said, the case at hand is a very good example that although some inherently not distinctive signs can be registered as trademarks when they are combined with other elements, mm -hmm. these can happen only if these additional elements are distinctive enough by themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And just to, to clarify, the logo or the, the, the image was uh, a... a a cutout of Alaska oh, with okay. United States seafood. Mm -hmm. A cutout of Alaska with United States seafood, and uh, the Alaska itself is a watermark for the United States flag. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and um, I, I, I was curious to see if it had refused, you know, if they had any issues anywhere else other than the EUIPO. Um, so once again, I, I just jumped into uh, Eximatch and um, found the WIPO application and mm -hmm. saw that it was also, um, for example, in China, it was rejected based on uh, the, the reason for refusal was the map of Alaska in the sign is likely to mislead the public as to the place of origin. The sign has a direct reference to, char to characteristics of the goods in respect of which the sign is used. Mm, yeah, like they are basically saying uh, a similar issue with EUIPO because EUIPO also said that it, it does uh, uh, make a further stress on the origin of the goods, like and 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 there are some other recent decisions that I would like to mention. Also, there is this uh, Scanner Pro decision, uh, for example. Uh, there, the applicant claim acquired distinctiveness, and it has been stated that the documents containing statements from independent professionals, internet search statistics, press release screenshots. Uh, at the end are not sufficient to establish that the mark had acquired distinctive character. So uh, I picked this uh, only to, uh, I picked this decision only to, uh, would like to uh, take attention to the fact that that acquired distinctiveness through use is something the applicant need to evidence. And, and we can say that it's, it is also not that much an easy task. Well, that's great, question. And I know uh, earlier we were also talking about the smart surface mark. Uh, could you could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in in that uh, in that case, the applicant uh, so the registration registered the word mark smart smart surface as an EU trademark for contact lenses in class nine, and the office refused to register that application as it was descriptive and devoid of distinctive character, and the applicant filed an appeal, but the Board of Appeal also dismissed the appeal. It found that the products were uh, intended for English speaking in general and professional, uh, like the uh, professional public, and the sign was likely to be perceived as referring the surface of the contact lens. Uh, I will read this from the, uh, from the decision as... Um, 
Yeah, surface of the contact lens having sophisticated characteristics such as responsiveness to the environment or adaption to the environmental changes in light and moisture. So in the content of contact lenses, the sign was considered as descriptive reference to one of uh, its primarily features of such lenses. Uh, that makes the sign was also devoid of distinctive character uh, because it cons consists of an informative message concerning an essential feature of the relevant products. So, uh, yeah, the applicant filed an action with the general court, but then general court also dismissed that action. So there I would also like to mention one claim of that applicant. The applicants say that they have other kind of similar trademark, like serial trademark, family trademarks, concepts. So the consumer actually will understand the origin. But uh, family marks or the ser serial trademarks concept does not apply to absolute grounds of refusals, but they are only taken into consideration of the evaluation of relative grounds uh, while the risk of uh, confusion evaluations. So... Uh, it has not been considered, that, that claim also uh, not been considered as well-grounded. And then there is this interesting this, uh, case regarding uh, XOXO. Like, what is the first thing comes into your mind when you uh, hear XOXO? When I think of XOXO, uh, I think of, uh, honestly, I think of birthday cards from my grandmother. Okay. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> that's how she didn't know. But obviously it meant uh, hugs and kisses. Okay. But by the way, do you know why it means hugs and kisses? Like, I, I don't know, but I wonder. I don't. Yeah. Uh, I, I wonder just whether it's related to Chris or, or as we also uh, write Christmas with Xmas, right? Xmas. But I'm not sure. Yeah, but then I don't know why that would necessarily uh, jump to hugs and kisses. Like, I think the whole Christmas thing was just making it easier on, yeah, like. <laughs> on, on, on writing out. Um, but here we go. What are we doing? We've got computers in front of us. Wikipedia um, origins. The common custom of placing X on envelopes notes at the end of the bottom uh, letters to mean hugs dates back to the Middle Ages. Middle Ages. When a Christian, okay. yeah, when a Christian cross, which does, I suppose... Uh, interact with Christmas. Christian cross was drawn on documents or letters to mean sincerity, faith, and honesty. A kiss was then placed upon the cross by the signer uh, as a display of their sworn oath. Mm, okay. I just thought, I just thought, I, I thought grandmothers made it up. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, like a uh, general court uh, confirmed, a uh, general court of EU confirmed the decision uh, by EU IPO that XOXO cannot be registered as a trademark. Uh, the, the application covered perfumery and cosmetic and jewelry and accessories and textiles, uh, those kind of stuff, by the way. Uh, the EU IPO considered that uh, based on uh, Article 7b, uh, the trademark in question was devoid of distinctive character and... Um, incapable of identifying the trademark. So no grounds for descriptiveness here, but more distinctiveness character. Uh, and XOXO is immediately, they think that XOXO is immediately perceived by the relevant public uh, 
some kind of a promotional message, a kind of a marketing message, or or they are always used on numerous products like T-shirts or greeting cards for for marketing messages mm-hmm. or marketing campaigns. So they said that it's merely promotional meaning, and uh, so the consumer cannot be able to distinguish. Uh, it, the products from uh, other competitors' products. Uh, yeah, like, and uh, they they say XOXO would be understood by the relevant public as the meaning of hugs and kisses, uh, as shown in the particular various online dictionaries. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Um, yeah, so, I mean, look, when it comes to all of this, the descriptiveness, non-distinctiveness, it's, um, it's, it's once again very subjective, as always. And one of the most interesting things about it is that consumer uh, perception, consumer perception. Mm-hmm. So just, just uh, before we leave here, um, I do want to say this is our fifth podcast. Um, we do release these the first Thursday of every month. Um, if you haven't heard the the previous four, please go back and listen to them. The first one starts with uh, non-traditional trademarks and you can uh, go from there. Um, but I don't know, Gochen, do you have any last thoughts? Yeah, uh, I think um, the main take out of this podcast is that the sign should be capable of uh, to indicate the origin. It should be distinctive and it should not be descriptive. And, and there is this acquired distinctiveness through use depending on the grounds uh, of EUIPO, like uh if the sign is uh, generic like have no distinguishing character and rejected based rejected based on this ground then it's already close to the acquired distinctiveness but then if it's open to acquired distinctiveness it's also good to uh remember then to evidence the acquired distinctiveness it's need to be done by the applicant and and it may not also be an easy task and then there as you said the main point is the consumer perception. So thanks very much, everyone, for joining us. And Goshen, thanks very much for your thoughts. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening today. If you would like to know more about our AI platform search and watch tools built by trademark experts for trademark experts, please check out trademarknow.com. We are always looking for guest contributors to our show too. If you'd like to suggest a trademark topic and take part in our discussions, please share your IP ideas with us by email to podcast at trademarknow.com. And if you like what you've heard, please share the news with your fellow trademark pros with the hashtag, hashtag TalkinMarks. That's Talkin, T-A-L-K-I-N, Marks, M-A-R-K-S. Hashtag Talking Works. Take care until the next time.